0: Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio.
1: And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. Let me tell you about Sean McNamara's career. He's also a noted author, a number of books out there, including Mind Sight, Signal and Noise, Renegade Mystic, Defy Your Limits. These are different book titles. And his website is mindpossible.com, which we've got linked up for you at Coast to Coast. Sean teaches meditation and consciousness exploration through psychic development. Specifically, he has taught telekinesis, that's moving objects, remote viewing, mind sight, lucid dreaming, how to have an out-of-body experience. He grew up overseas, was exposed to a variety of spiritual traditions. Early incidents in his life of illness and surgery brought about a very persistent fear and contemplation of death and of what happens afterward in his 20s he became a buddhist practitioner in order to use meditation as a way to investigate the nature of consciousness and reality realizing that many traditions eventually became rigid and limiting out of a need for self-preservation and at the cost of each individual's very unique development he left that path that he had been following and he no longer identifies with any single religion instead he explores consciousness and reality through meditation and psychic experiences. Sean, welcome to the program. Looking forward to chatting with you tonight.
0: Thanks so much, George. I'm really happy to be here.
1: And how? We, and you are a friend of our dear friend Caroline Corey. She's great.
0: Well, she is great, and I was really fortunate to uh, be invited to be part of her movie Superhuman, which came out last year. Yeah. Of course, for me, that's kind of the, the end of a long road. So I, a lot of work went into. Developing myself, and then someone she knew told her about me, and then we spoke. And then she decided that at the last moment that she wanted to include me.
1: Uh-huh. I was
0: fortunate to be able to work with her because she is wonderful to work with, and her whole crew is really great.
1: Let's go way back to the beginning for you. How did this all start for you?
0: Well, when I was about seven years old, I had appendicitis, and oh I didn't know what God. it it's was.
1: Seven years old? Yeah. Oh, my God
0: a really formative age, and there were a couple days of extreme pain without knowing what was causing it, and then finally they took me to the hospital and rushed me into surgery.
1: It ruptured, didn't it?
0: It did. They had ruptured as they were taking it out, and they told me that afterward, and they told me that I was so lucky, because if they had waited any longer, it could have become a really bad infection, or worse, or I could have died. Yes. My God. And that was when I started thinking about the fact that i 'm mortal that I would die someday, and i don 't know if other people that at that age think about death, but I started thinking about it a lot for some reason. it just haunted me, and I thought about it all the time and
1: Did it plague you
0: it I think it did i i 've always been a pretty serious person or stoic <laughs> huh. my mom describes me, but I think this played a role in that and I come from a Catholic family, so at the time I grew up and we went to church every Sunday, and I took it pretty seriously at that age. And part of that was the contemplation of death and heaven and hell and what we were told to believe. So I took it quite seriously, mostly out of fear. So I I grew up and I still had that question in my mind, and other things happened to remind me about my own mortality as I got older I I had lumps removed out of my chest once in high school once in college oh my gosh and I had heart surgery in my early 20s but by then I had left the church right you know I didn't formally leave but I'd stopped being a practicing catholic because I decided I wanted to really find out what happens afterward and I just wasn't satisfied being told what to believe by the church it's a faith-based system and I'm stubborn, and I'm curious, and I wanted to find my own way. So in my early 20s, I started practicing Buddhism at a local Buddhist center.
1: Did, did you blame the church for your health problems?
0: Oh, not at all, no. You did I not? Just, okay. I just thought that it, it wasn't enough for me to to go to church every Sunday and, and believe that if I was good, a good boy or a good person, that I would go some, to someplace called heaven afterward. I, it, it just... I wasn't satisfied. I wanted to know now while I was alive, living my life, instead of waiting until the end to find out if any of that is real. I just wanted to find my own answers. And I thought maybe if I learned to meditate, and maybe if I do it by practicing Buddhism, maybe that would give me an experience that would give me a clue about what really happens afterward.
1: I was like you, except I didn't have to, thank God, go through the health issues you went through. But I was obsessed with everything strange and unusual, UFOs, uh, psychic work, Bigfoot. And I just started at a young age, 10, 11 years old, of reading books of all these people. Uh Edgar Cayce, Edward Ruppelt uh, on UFOs, Frank Edwards. And uh, I I think all these people had an influence on me and uh, I was obsessed with it and uh, look where we both are now just at that young age being obsessed with what we did
0: oh yeah we we, luckily you and I I think we both had great influences from the books that we read when we were kids and I remember in the 80s Shirley MacLaine came out with that TV movie out on a limb based out on her book right and that was a huge influence on what happened for me later on because there was a scene in that movie in her life when She was in Peru in the hot spring, and she had a spontaneous out-of-body experience.
1: I had her on as a guest several years ago, Sean, and she had a coughing attack that was so, so much, I couldn't continue the show with her because she was coughing like every two seconds. Mm. Poor lady. But uh, she's an expert in the paranormal.
0: Oh, yeah. And she's influenced so many people, and I think people like her... And like you, really, you spread the knowledge. And now with radio and Internet and everything, it's it's even more powerful than it was in the past, that this information is getting out there. So it's a really good thing.
1: She was almost, well, she was sort of one of the Rat Pack with Sinatra and group. Oh, wow. A long time ago. Yeah. Now, you had an out-of-body experience at what age?
0: It wasn't until uh, 2014, so I was in my... Late,
1: so not too long ago
0: not too long ago so what happened was i i spent you know i don't know maybe a couple decades practicing buddhism and decided to leave that path because after all that time i realized i had learned how to follow that path very well and be a good buddhist and do those specific meditations but still i hadn't found the answer to my main question which was is there something about me that will exist after my body dies? Will something continue? And Buddhism, just like Catholicism and other religions, has its own belief system. And still, it wasn't enough. I I still hadn't found the experience that I needed. And I remembered the Shirley MacLaine movie, Out on a Limb. And I remembered when I was a teenager that I had come across the book uh, Journeys Out of the Body.
1: By uh, Robert Monroe.
0: That's right, yeah. And I, when I was a teenager, I had tried having an out-of-body experience, but I was unsuccessful because all I had was that book, and it only had you know one technique in it, and it just didn't fit me. So I wasn't able to do it. But eventually I decided to leave the path that I was on to the Buddhist teachers I was working with. I said goodbye, and I started training myself to have an out-of-body experience. And I thought, if I can do this on my own... And if I can, you know, I'll be able to answer that question. And I found books by William Buhlman, which was great because he offers several techniques. He's been working on this for a long time. And his books are really easy to follow. And they lay out the techniques very clearly. And I appreciated the path of the out body experience because there's no dogma. It's all experimental. You find what fits you, and you practice over and over again, and that, that's what I did. I practiced those techniques, not only from his books, but other people's books, too.
1: Did you ever read a book by Robert Krukall?
0: Yes. <laughs> it's one of the classics.
1: He was, absolutely. Yeah. I mean,
0: they were that in that. Yeah, so this goes, this goes way back, and it's not a new thing and Crookle was great, and all these books are so inspirational, and it, and it taught me that there are different ways that someone can leave their body under different circumstances. So I worked on it over and over again for a few months until I had my first out-of-body experience, and as soon as I was done with it, and it was only a partial out-of-body, I didn't leave my body entirely, just halfway, but when I came back into my body, my fear of death was completely gone. Really? Because I knew, I knew I had found my experience. It was a real experience. And I knew I had been separate from the physical, and yet I was still conscious. And some part of me, I knew, can go on after my physical body is dead. (laughs) So it it was just this immense relief. It's even difficult to put into words. When it happened, I just felt elation and freedom and like this heavy weight was lifted off of my shoulders.
1: How did you start uh, practicing telekinesis, mind over matter?
0: So the mind over matter happened after I'd practiced the out-of-body experience for for a while because I wanted to show other people that we are more than physical beings. And I'd seen telekinesis being done on YouTube. I found this channel, the International Association for Near-Death Studies, and,
1: and a lot of skeptics look at that channel, too, you know.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and I watched a video that I'm sure many skeptics would be happy to, to attack. And it was an interview or a presentation by a woman named Shirley Black, who had had several near-death experiences, but also a lot of paranormal phenomena occurred around her, and she was able to produce mind-over-matter effects at will. And she did it during the presentation with as little wheel made out of tinfoil inside of a jar, wow. and when I saw her doing that, I thought to myself, "That's the real thing. She's moving that object with her energy or her mind or whatever it is. But she's doing the real thing." And I saw other people on YouTube um, doing it, and some of it's questionable. I think some of it might is probably fake. Um,
1: and magic,
0: or or magic, yeah, illusion. Um,
1: but then you have people like Uri Geller, who I believe is the real deal.
0: Mm-hmm. I definitely think he's the real deal. So people like them inspired me, and I worked at it to learn how to do it myself. And I applied everything I had learned about meditation to figure out how to do it myself. And, and that took me a few months to figure out. But I knew that if I could do that, then I could show my friends. And I, I still had meditation students. And I wanted to, I could show it to them in broad daylight so they could see it with their own two eyes and know that we do extend beyond the boundaries of our skin, of our body, that the mind goes, goes beyond. It's not just the brain, but there's, there's more to us.
1: Have you ever had a situation, Sean, where let's say you put your keys down on the table, you come right back to get them, and they're gone? You, you don't know where they are, and then you begin to question your memory, going, where did I put them? <laughs> and then you walk around the house a little bit, and you come back to that same spot, and there they are again. Mm-hmm. Has that ever happened to you?
0: It has. I can't think of a specific example, but I know it's happened to me. It's happened to my wife, because we talk to each other when these things happen, and it's, what's going on? Is it our consciousness? or do we just have bad memory or
1: are they playing around with us on the other side
0: exactly because it is similar to the uh, apport phenomena where things just fall down on the table out of nowhere you know this happens during seances or mediumship circles
1: i think that happens to some people too who merely disappear and nobody knows where they are Mm -hmm. david politis of course does a lot and uh, some of these people have sadly died And things like that but there are a tremendous amount of cases of people who just disappear I mean there's no rationale explanation for it they're just gone Mm -hmm. so uh, what if they go into these other portals or dimensions and they can't get back for some reason
0: right well that's a terrifying notion and you mentioned Uri Geller earlier and in his autobiography um, and the biography by Andreas Piharich, they described the situation. He was walking down the sidewalk in New York City, and suddenly he felt himself get sucked up into this strange space, and suddenly he was falling through the roof of a gazebo in one of his friend's homes like 20 miles away. And his friend was there. She saw him when he'd crashed through the glass ceiling of this, this porch or this gazebo and landed on his glass table. And then they called his friend back in New York at the apartment he had just left. And they said, there's no way you could be that far away. You just walked out the door. But somehow he'd been sucked into some portal and transported to this woman's house
1: Jeez. miles
0: away. And he, so it's anyone who wants to read about it, it's in his biography.
1: He told us a great story once. He was a friend with, as we were, the late Edgar Mitchell, Apollo 14 astronaut. Mm-hmm. And Mitchell had a NASA tie clasp that he would wear all the time when he had a tie on. Well, he lost it. He couldn't find it. It was gone for years. He just couldn't find it. And one day he's having lunch with Geller, who's chomping into an ice cream sundae, and all of a sudden he feels like a peanut or something really hard that he didn't swallow, but he felt it in his mouth as the ice cream was melting. He took it out of his mouth. It was Mitchell's tie clasp. From years gone back. Yeah. I mean, it's not like something he just lost at lunch. Mm-hmm. How do you explain that stuff?
0: Well, it's it's complex. And at the same time, I think I, I've, I've come up with a way to think about it that's pretty simple for me. And it's based on my experiences with the out-of-body experience and the telekinesis and other psychic phenomena psychic perception that it all comes down to information. If we think of everything we experience is it's just information even breaking down the idea of energy it's just information and a, a, a particle of existence you know it could be our mind, it could be our body or it could be a little atom it can do two things. it can perceive or receive experience from the environment or from other particles. And they can send information, which could be intention or will or feelings. And so, if you break everything down to information, including time, that there's really no past or future, that it's all occurring at the same time, then this experience with Edgar Mitchell's tie pin, Marie Geller being transported through a portal, moving a tiny piece of tinfoil with a person's intention or traveling to other realms, it all boils down to consciousness is information, either receiving or sending. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.